This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. the alienist recap podcast my name is alex and i have not read caleb carr's the alienist and my name is nick and i have read the alienist today we will be discussing season one episode one of the tnt series titled the boy on the bridge while we will not be spoiling any of the book and by extension any future plot lines of the show we will be discussing the details of the first episode of the series so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode you can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv, and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's or Caleb Carr's The Alienist so we can read them on the show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. However, as I just said, I have not read the book, so if there are book spoilers, please tag that in the subject and I will forward it to Nick. <clears throat> yes, please. Who can read them? I like my exclusive yes. corner of the fan mail. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, here we are. It's the first episode of the Alienist Recap. Um, I don't know if there's anything that we want to touch on before the recap other than just kind of a general, <coughs> did you like it? How are you feeling? Like, I, you know, why, why don't you go first and just kind of say what what your general feelings are, and I think we'll dig in a little bit more after we recap. I think uh, up front, if you have not listened to our primer episode, it's not essential, but it does shed a little bit of light on where we're both approaching this show from. Yes. It's about 20 minutes long. Yep. A little less, longer than we thought it would be, but uh, I think it'll be kind of informative. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to definitely go back and listen to it when this season is over to see what we maybe have What nails were hit on the head and which ones weren't. Yeah. 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 Anyway, as far as this episode goes... I think that there is a lot of good stuff in it, and I think there are a lot of things that have deviated from the book in ways that I don't think yet are necessary, and I don't foresee them ever being as good as they might have been had they just followed the book. And I think this is probably something close to what I said on our preacher show, Gone Gone to Texas, but I think with that show it was a little more clear that we were going to be around longer than just 10 episodes. And that yeah. this show was these new versions of these characters were going to grow into the directions that they're heading. And it's going to make sense. I think with this so far, there's a few changes in characterization that just don't seem particularly motivated to me. And I think I can see why somebody may have thought it was a good idea, but I think there are the best the upper crust of great TV that's on these days is willing to trust the audience a little bit more. And uh, I can get a little bit more into what I'm 
looking at a little bit more <laughs> into what I'm saying in a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. And there's just, a little a little foreshadowing of who I will take <laughs> issue with. <laughs> so and for those out there who haven't read, I did I asked Nick to pull his punches a little bit. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. So I, I've already thought carefully since I watched uh the episode about what I wanted to say and how I wanted to address it in a way that will remain spoiler free. Yeah. And the interesting thing is there there are a lot of things in this episode and this is a big thing that kinda of bothered me. And it, it may all work out just fine, but there are, are a lot of things that happen in this episode that happen a lot later in the book. And I am currently rereading the book again, but these events all kind of seem to to jump forward a lot. And I was like, whoa, that, that shouldn't happen yet. And that's probably partially coming from a place of me being like, no, 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 no. That's not how the story goes, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily like a valid criticism. Not yet. I think it. we'll see. Yeah. But considering the show is only... 10% over it feels like a lot of stuff happened in this episode that may have been more compelling and made a bigger impact had it happened later so if you don't want me to elaborate on any of those things that there there is one there are a couple that aren't really spoilery that I, I can talk about without without ruining anything but on the whole I did like the episode I don't think it's got it if I had not read the book I would have watched it and been like hmm that seems okay. You could take it or leave it still. I, I could. I would probably still tune in for one more yeah. to check it out, but you would probably only have me for maybe episode two or three. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a problem because I know the source material and I, I know that the 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 material's there to make an insane pilot that's really going to hook people. Yeah. And there were just some changes made that made me go, you, you took some things that were really cool and you kind of made them bland, which is strange. Especially yeah. considering some of the people involved, and that Caleb Carr is a consulting producer on it, which may really mean nothing. <laughs> like, oh, we let you be on set. Yeah, but I, I would hope that they will start to pay attention that the a lot of the details in the book, as far as characterization, seem to have been ignored. A lot of the little things that, when you're reading a book, when you don't actually have a person's face in front of you, books need to provide you a little bit more about how this person acts and how how they would look in a situation. And the book does a great job of fleshing that out. And I feel like a lot of those notes <clears throat> were just taken out. Like for Roosevelt to be like, Theodore looks angry is probably all the script said. <laughs> because whereas the book does a really good job of making you visualize exactly how angry he is yeah. at something or how excited somebody is about something. When you're reading the book, you get caught up in these in these these watershed moments where they have these little mini breakthroughs in the case and they all freak out and they get on the horn and they they call somebody and like you you get caught up in that momentum and right now in this show i'm i'm not caught up in anything yeah. really i'm just kind of feel like i'm just drifting along and it's 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 alarming for a 10 episode series about a serial killer like it feels like i sh- i should be way more like whoa like i'll never forget the feeling of the ending of the first episode of true detective like yeah. being like oh my god or and i'm going to i'm going to bring this up later but the first episode of sherlock which is it does have an extra half hour to its to its benefit, but still you leave that first episode of Sherlock and you're like, Holy shit, I cannot wait to watch more of that. Despite and, it even being a fully encapsulated story on its own, too. Right. Like, you can't wait for the next one. Yeah. And that does have the benefit of some iconic characters behind mm-hmm. it. But and it ends with the Batman and Robin shot, which is pretty cool. But it it just is better. The yeah. writing is a little better. So I guess that's all I'll say about that for now. 
Yeah, I, um, a lot like what you said, I feel like at this point I am not hooked yet. I don't necessarily see what's going to set the show apart from other kind of procedural serial killer type stuff as of yet, other than maybe the setting like, like you had said previously, but it's, um, I, I enjoyed the production value. It looks like the money that they spent on it for sure. Like it, none of it feels, I didn't feel like I saw the seams of the fact that this isn't a New York that exists nowadays. Right. Uh, it felt real to me The the costuming and the set design is all pristine and, and great to me. Um, but I'm still kind of left wondering what's going to make this special, which is maybe a, a, a crappy view to take you and I, as people who love John Carter, if you walk into John Carter with none of the history, <laughs> you're like, okay, this isn't that great. I've seen this in star Wars and avatar and blah, 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 blah. But when you are informed of like where this came in history, I think where John Carter came in history, that movie tends to mean a lot more. And hopefully I'm hoping you can bring that to me in terms of like, you know, this is where the book was at. And, and this is kind of not that like 1994 is particularly far removed, but it kind of is in the days of CSI. Oh, absolutely. CSI Muncie, Indiana. And you know, like whatever else it is. Hey, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Gergich just helping out, just fumbling up evidence. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) so, so I'm, I'm still on the fence. I'm certainly going to watch it. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna you finish to, it out. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I've, I bought in. I spent. I, I bought the domain. No, I'm just kidding. But I. I'm. My interest is peaked, but I'm not hooked. So that's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment. That thought terrifies me too. That it's not going to get any better, and we're going to have a podcast about a show that just, <laughs> just is, which is okay. Us being completely indifferent for ten episodes of a right, show, which could end up being hilarious. <laughs> I, I am <clears throat> I am optimistic that it is going to get a little bit better. Yeah, certainly at least a little bit better because I think they're they're they do have a lot of unpacking to do right off the bat. I just don't think they did it the best way they could have. Yeah, and I I have to see the next nine episodes to really be able to ultimately judge how they stretched out uh, the main plots of the story and and what what beats happen when. With nine episodes left, there's still room for this to be a good adaptation of. Oh yeah, book. there's there's nine hours left basically, yeah. or forty five minutes. So I'm I'm glad that there's nothing that you are outright like, this isn't gonna work for me. Period. Well, it's sad, but we'll maybe we'll get there. Like I I, I it doesn't it doesn't sound like there's nothing that's like made you angry with it. There's nothing that's made you want to not watch it. It's just yeah, that's that, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, so I'm just not, and I I kind of talked about this in the in the primer too. I'm not really on that level anymore. That's true. Like that's it, true. I would still watch it. I I, th- I think it would have to be like an insane deviation, or like they'd have to make the Alienist, but it takes place now, <laughs> for me to be like, no, Let's just don't say that. Yeah. What if we made the Alienist, but it was 2018? <laughs> right. They just did that with a show, right? Not uh, not the. The Sleepy Hollow one at least has the hook of like that's the actual 
Ichabod Crane. Yeah, brought. But there's the another future. show that they they modernized for some hilarious reason, and it's in that vein. And uh, I don't remember what it is. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's that on one of those something. networks, though. There's See, no one knows because I'm sure it got canceled. around in my brain, but anyway, no, it's yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, there's. I part of me wonders what of that is pilot problems and what of it is not, and I understand that you feel it could have been done better, and I totally agree because I'm not hooked yet. So maybe maybe some of these concerns. Yes, it didn't hit a home run in the first episode necessarily, but I feel like it's a solid on base. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That I would agree with that. So we'll we'll see. Uh, do you want to get into the recap? Yeah, let's do it. All right. In New York City in 1896, a cop finds a severed hand on a street only to find the body up above on the Williamsburg Bridge, which is newly under construction. Dr. Laszlo Chrysler finds out and sends to have illustrator John Moore meet their old friend, Commissioner Teddy Roosevelt, at the scene and draw out the details. After a strange encounter at the local brothel, Moore is interrupted and taken to the scene by Laszlo's assistant. He lies his way to the top of the bridge, and after butting heads with Roosevelt, he looks on in horror as he sketches out the scene. So in, in the primer, I, I can kind of go back a little bit more generally. Uh, you mentioned the uh, kind of the, the book being bookended. Yeah. So are you, are you, you're not, are you majorly disappointed that the, that the show didn't begin the same way? No, I'm not disappointed, but I, I think it may have made... I think it may have made more a little bit better. The character of John, yeah, John Moore, right? Well, because when you read the book, it's from Moore's perspective, yeah. So he's your cipher, and in the show, I'm not. I don't think the show's taking that angle. I think there is no cipher in the show. Yeah, it's more of an ensemble which, situation, which kind of bothers me. Okay, because Moore, as is in the book, is a perfect cipher. Hmm. He's he's a He's, very, he's trying to figure out the story like the listener or and he's, like the and reader he's is. He's very everyman. Yeah. He's a pretty regular guy. And I understand that in a lot of people's mind, it's script writing 101 that your characters should have flaws. They should be complicated. But I really am taking issue right off the bat with this more subplot of, and I'm speculating here because this isn't in the book. So I can't consider this a spoiler. But this feels to me like a hollow imitation of the. Uh, hooker scene from Memento where he has these he's got he the has these artifacts from his wife and he's trying yeah. to recreate a moment because John Moore keeps meeting with the same prostitute he, she, he keeps putting a ring on her hand and she keeps giving it back to him and I've, I've got to imagine that this is like a recreation of like a dead or a, fian- a woman who left him yeah and it's just snooze fest for me because it just <laughs> it we you don't need it. I, yeah, I don't see its play. Like I, that was one of the things that boggled me a little bit, and I was going to ask you about it. So I'm glad that it's not even really necessarily book connected, but I, it 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 just kind of feels very. I don't even know what the word I want to say. I, I kind of want to say slight. I want to say like it. It's it just doesn't feel relevant. No, and to the th- story. this show has one big question. Who is this killer and how do we catch him? I guess yeah. it's two questions. But that's all you need. It's it's so well done in the book that you don't need any other mysteries. And the, in the book, there are a few tiny little ones, but they don't involve more. Yeah. More is a very 
basic dude. He likes gambling. He likes hanging out with whores and he likes drinking and generally like carousing a little bit. And it's all fine, but it's never, it never happens in the book. You just, you learn this about him immediately and then it's never brought up again really because it's just, it is who he is. You, you, you know who John Moore is right off the bat and that's great because then you're just along for the ride with him. Yeah. And he just doesn't, you don't need it. You don't need it for this show. And already I'm like, you're, you're burning, you're wasting my time because I don't think this is interesting and I don't think it's going to serve a purpose in the show ultimately. And it just, it felt, it just felt really unnecessary and shame on the show because they totally psyched me out because in the book, the, the knocking on the door, the same way. So there's the knock there in the show. There's all the knocking on the lamppost and it, and and it fades really, a really cool effect right into someone pounding at a door and you saw the person in the bed getting up and I was like, hell yes, because that's the way the book starts. Yeah. And it's more waking up. Uh, and he's getting woken up by Stevie, who is Chrysler's like uh, driver slash yeah, assistant, assistant to go who's and a, take. Who's a really important character. And he says, hey, you've got to come with me right now. And Stevie is like visibly like ready to vomit because he saw the body. Like uh, he's been there and he's seen it. And so you're building all this suspense because Moore's in his carriage ride and he's screaming. He's like, where are we going? What's going on? And he says, the look in Stevie's eyes is like one of horror. And he's like, where? And he's like, Dr. Chrysler was there. He needs you to come there right away. And you right away, you're just like, oh my God, what is this? And you don't even, you don't see the body. yet. You don't know. And all this suspense builds towards it. And it's so good because you're reading it and you're just like, wow, what are we on our way to see? So, and then I guess one of the other questions that I had involving all of that, like the, the, the relationship to Laszlo and John and and Teddy, to me, in the show, feels less. Um, so, like f- from my impressions with you, it felt like Teddy wants them there and wants them to help in the book, but also he doesn't want the public and the force to know that he's employing these people. And to me, it feels like in the show that Teddy just straight up doesn't want them there either. So do do you, do you feel that way? Do you feel like, do you feel like maybe your vision of it that you gave to me is averaged over the book and that maybe the show is still currently in step with where things are in the beginning of the book? The yes and no. Okay. The show there there is the relationship between the three of them is interesting and one thing that I loved was the way that Chrysler interacts with Roosevelt because it's perfect. There's there's a there's a little uh what's the word I'm looking for? Adversarial. Like, like subtext of aggression between yeah. them a little bit and that that is accurate and it's okay. it's really great. I loved that scene. That was one of the parts where I was like, this is perfection. And the way Daniel Bruhl carries himself in it is really good. It's a little bit arrogant, and he's a little bit like, I'm smarter than you. He's like subtextually like aggressing on on. Right, and so here is another reason you need the more from the book. He is the peacemaker. Uh, He is the one who's there to calm everyone down all the time because he's very like, let me put it this way. When I when I was reading this book, rereading it again in like the late 2000s, around the time that Downey became bigger and I saw Zodiac, I was like, Downey Jr. would be a really good John Moore because he's got this likability to him. He's kind of got this kind of slightly cavalier attitude. He's kind of like, it's all good. Like, we'll, we'll get through it. You know, you guys are friends. Don't forget. We're all good friends. 
That's kind of the way Moore is in the book. Okay. He's not like this sad kind of tortured guy, which is how he seems like he's coming across in the show. There was one more moment that I loved when he and Chrysler are leaving the building after the, um, it's either after the prison visit or something. Oh, but he, you know, Chrysler's like, I think we should go grab an early dinner. And, and Moore's kind of like, are you serious? Like, how can you eat right now? And Chrysler says something to him and he does this weird laugh and then he walks away. And I was like, that was perfect. That's the way he needs to be. And he's almost kind of the Watson to Chrysler's Sherlock. Okay. And they have kind of a fun dynamic in the book because they're old friends. And Roosevelt is part of that group too. But Roosevelt and Chrysler don't always see eye to eye on a lot of things. And part of it is that Roosevelt is a very, he is, uh, he's a guy who like, he, he believes in what he can see. And he, he's, he's, uh, he's a very letter of the law kind of guy. And Chrysler is in this day and age, a, his, his, perspectives and his beliefs about psychology and the human mind these are not accepted beliefs yet it's even less the things that's accepted in society than those things are right now the things that we've a lot of the common beliefs that we tend to understand even if you go into a lot of like freudian and jungian beliefs these are things that back then were scoffed at and they were disregarded and they were found offensive and a little bit of that comes across in the show when you see a lot of the people kind of staring at chrysler almost to the point where it was a little over the top i was like okay not every person in new york is mad at laszlo <laughs> not everybody knows who laszlo right. is and and in the courthouse and in the police station they do know who he is because he gets called into courts all the time to testify because he is respected in his field he's certified they know he's a doctor they know he's a doctor of the mind they know he's good and they know that he uh generates results in mm-hmm. his patients especially children and there's a lot about each of these characters that is explained in the book that in the show you're kind of left to, you can kind of get out of it that, okay, Chrysler obviously specializes in children, but that institute that he's walking the kid around, that's his baby. That's his place that he started and he fights tooth and nail to keep going. And in the show, he's just kind of walking his boy around. He's like, here's the workout room. Yeah. Here's the rec no, room. There's no establishing shot of Laszlo Chrysler's it is the Chrysler school for institute. gifted children. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what it is. And it's really important to know that because yeah. he is he's kind of creepy. He's not creepy. In the book, he, he's kind of a striking looking person. Like he's kind of like, you know, the way you would look at like Willem Dafoe or something where you'd be like, whoa, that guy, he's a little unsettling. Also because he's a doctor of the mind. So people think like, oh, he can hypnotize you. Like there's mm-hmm. just this kind of, and I think this mystique around him and there's this mystique around a lot of what he does. And the show stripped a lot of that away by starting it with him essentially, by him getting the summons and him not going to the bridge. Cause in the book you don't actually meet Chrysler until I'm trying to remember exactly when it, it's a little ways in because Moore goes to the bridge and Chrysler was there. And yeah. the reason he's there is he was the closest doctor available. They needed somebody to perform like an on site, even though he's obviously dead, they needed a doctor to be there to, to like, you know, sign off that like, okay, this person died and, and try to establish a time of death. You need a doctor there. Yeah. And there's no doctor in the show. Like that's never mentioned. And I think why change it? That's such an easy way to build up a little bit of the mystique around Chrysler. Cause Chrysler should be a little mysterious to the viewer. You should be intrigued by him. You should be like, wow, that guy, I want to see more of him. He's really compelling. I want to get to know him more. He's kind of, he's a little eerie. He can't quite figure him out. And so when you're along the ride with more, you get to the bridge and you know Chrysler's been there, but you don't meet him. You keep hearing this name thrown around. You're like, who is this guy everyone's talking about? And so they're just little little missteps, I feel like, things that could have potentially made the show 
just a little richer. Yeah. Because it's very right now like scene starts, character goes here, talks to character B, scene ends, and it's just that that's that. very from point A to point B, yes. matter and, of and, fact. And there's no time to get caught up in the fabric of who these characters yeah. are. And if you think about again, I and I, apologies up front, but we're gonna talk about True Detective this whole season. <laughs> but in the pilot of True Detective, you you don't even talk to Rust. You hear Marty talk about Rust, and you instantly get an incredibly vivid picture of who this guy is. And it's a combination of the writing, uh, Marty talking about him, or uh, Woody's performance, and then McConaughey's performance. Yeah. And if you took that dynamic and applied it to these actors and gave them that same quality of writing, I feel like you'd be looking at Daniel Bruhl and being like, whoa, this guy's interesting. Well, and the fact of the matter is, like, that's that credit to Nick Pizza of True Detective fame. Because yes. I can't remember his actual name. Pizzolato. Pizzolato, exactly. Uh, that is talent of the writing of not only Woody's performance, but also the writing of the show to be able to paint that picture of Rust. So it should be easier for these actors to portray characters, fully formed characters in The Alienist. And I don't necessarily feel like they are I feel like none of them out. read the book. None of them read the book yeah. or, or just the the... The soul of these characters didn't get translated onto the page. It's just like John Moore in a brothel. He looks upset, and that's it. It's and, the and it's somebody wrote out the Laszlo's the tortured, misunder, misunderstood doctor of like like you know they got the log line or like the cliff's notes of of who these people were rather than like trying to embody. Which I don't know. Maybe that's there's maybe there. I think there's just unfair of us maybe to, to to maybe put that on them it's a little it is like a, it, it this whole episode comes with a little bit of a, the warning that yes we we do have to let a little bit more unfold but yeah. i do think that you should understand that chrysler is a little standoffish with adults but he's very good with kids and he's almost a different person when he's around children and in the book it's and not in a creepy way and like a wow this guy's a great doctor for kids and in the book that comes across and and he's he's good he's cool with more because they're buddies and he's pretty cool with Roosevelt to an extent because they also know each other well and and I loved the when he calls him old friend and he just kind of makes this eye oh, too long of an eye contact like it's almost a challenge yeah and then hangs his coat and I was like <laughs> ooh that was good that that scene seemed to work really well it felt yeah. like he spent a long time on that but since it's in the first chunk here that we've talked about I want to talk about Roosevelt because if you didn't know, I feel like people are going to watch the show and they're still not going to understand that that's Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. Because our cultural perception of Theodore Roosevelt, I think, is pretty accurate to who he was. He's a very, like, bombastic, loud, interesting, like, different person who's very... He was known for being, like, just... There's a word that's used in the book to describe him early on, and I don't remember, but they often say he's almost ridiculous because he's just such a larger-than-life personality. And yeah. he walks into the room, and you're like, holy shit, here's, here's Teddy it's Roosevelt. It's everything you hear in history class about Teddy Roosevelt right. being like a boorish, like just a very headstrong... Big, loud... He knows who he is yes. more than anybody in the world has right. ever known who they exactly. are, essentially. And that doesn't come across one iota in the show. Yeah. And I'm watching this and going, who... Who? What is this? This isn't. This isn't Theodore, and this isn't Theodore Roosevelt begins either. Which like, he's not in, in the book. He's already this personality, and and but also not not to give away what I know about that that bookend that isn't here. 
that will probably survive as an epilogue to this story. Potentially. But because of that epilogue, you know that it's Teddy Roosevelt. You know that it is the Teddy Roosevelt. It is Roosevelt. the Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. yeah. So, so the fact that the show doesn't have that, I agree. Like, I was expecting the iconic mustache that has been waxed and twirled at the ends. Like, something, like a bowler hat, like some kind of hat or something that makes me feel like it's... They like, got a little close with the glasses yeah, in the, in the yeah. office. Yeah, that's true. The glasses with the mustache, it kind of works. And also his, like... I think his demeanor of of being respectful of or 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 hating uh hating corruption and wanting to weed that out and demanding these cops be straight with him otherwise they're they're gone like all of that I think fits Teddy Roosevelt but then there's also things of like it doesn't seem to me like, I guess that's kind of hard because I feel like I have the expectation of, like, if Teddy Roosevelt is commissioner, then I feel like the police, the corruption's already gone, which is, that's my, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's me bringing my baggage of who Teddy Roosevelt is into the picture and not allowing the story to kind of progress naturally, I think. So, I wonder if we'll get more of that or if they kind of, I don't know. Like, it's hard for the show at any point to be kind of like, you know, that's Teddy Roosevelt, right? Like, you can't. Yeah. There's literally no way to do that that makes any sense. Right. And the, and you're, you are right that the epilogue, because it does talk about Roosevelt in that context, you it, it's almost presented as though before he was the president of the United, of the United States, he was a New York police commissioner. And yes. he, they say in the book, I mean, he helped spearhead a secret investigation into these murders. And... That's that's kind of a th- a thing that I need to talk about towards the end of the episode as well. But one very telling moment for me that I wasn't going to love the episode was right at the beginning. And the one character in this entire episode who is absolutely pitch perfect from the book is the cop who Moore talks to that takes him up there. The, the guy with the handlebar, yep. red mustache. Not Ted Levine. Always good to see Ted Levine. Well, yeah. <laughs> no one can wear a mustache like that, man. But is the the, the Irish... <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't supposed to be young Roosevelt, that would be perfect. But the Irish captain who takes him up there, that guy, it's like he it's like Indian in the cupboard, man, and they put the book in there and brought that dude to life because he is absolutely perfect. He has lines that are literally word for word from the book. And this is really fresh in my mind because I just read these chapters. And he has the exact look and the voice is perfect and his delivery and how he's a little condescending towards the he's very dismissive of this like dead boy. And he's very like, oh, it was Giorgio. Yep. Well, that's what happens when you're, you know, a boy whore in the in the whatever district. Yeah. But when that happens in the book, Roosevelt more literally holds Roosevelt back from punching the captain because all the police that are corrupt and that are on the take, they're constantly trying to bait Roosevelt into doing something that can get him fired. Yeah. And this captain, not only does he not care about immigrant children who are getting murdered, not only does he care that it's a kid who was mutilated but he just wants to like get under Roosevelt's skin. And in the and there's literally like a why I ought a moment in the book where Roosevelt like makes a lunge for the guy and Moore stops him and Moore says to him in his ear, he's like, This is exactly what they want you to do. Like again, he's playing peacemaker and he's like, yeah. You gotta be calm. You can't let him win. And Roosevelt straightens his glasses in his jacket and he and that's when he tells the guy, he's like, You know what I'm gonna make you do? You need to go down you need to go down to get the proprietors and get him in my office. And then the captain's like, Whoa, man, what are you doing? Like they give me they give me money, I'm on the take and Roosevelt's like, Yeah, you're gonna do it. 
do you have any reason why you wouldn't want to bother them? And then the captain has to just say, no, sir. All right, I'll go do it. Yeah. And it's this really fun, like power struggle in the middle of a crime scene. And it's great in the book and in the show, there's nothing like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're already here talking. You're saying a lot of the same lines, but there's no spark. There's no, there's no establishment that there is an extreme general disregard for immigrants. Like that is very clear in the book that these police do not care and Roosevelt does because he's compassionate and he says these are citizens that these are people in our city and we need to look out for them and that's never painted in this episode at all by anybody yeah. which kind of bothers me because that's one of the big themes of the book is that a lot of a lot of victims all the time and it's not even people who are killed in this particular crime but more even says in the books multiple times, like, yeah, immigrants get murdered all over the city and no one looks into it because the police only want to investigate crimes that they think are important. It's like a, it's a big deal that these crimes are overlooked. And part of the reason I was so excited this show was coming out right now because I feel like people might be able to kind of clue into that a little bit and yeah. say like, wow, remember when Polish people were like, you know, looked down upon mm-hmm. as like second class citizens. Well, and even the like the signs that used to say Irish need not apply in, in the windows, like, right? Or, before this point, essentially, obviously, uh, that all of that is something that feels like it's repeating itself in history. Exactly. And, and so, you know, and so that that bummed me out that that wasn't here, but it also bummed me out that Roosevelt didn't feel like Roosevelt because it's he's he's not in the book a ton but he's there and he feels like an important character and he feels like teddy roosevelt so i'm really hoping for some adjustment there in that performance the other thing i'll say like maybe they don't want to feel like they're hitting that nail on the head but also i don't think they like to me it doesn't even occur to me that they're thinking of that as a theme of the show yet you know true that's kind of that's 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 the thing is like the the devil's advocate is they don't want to hit hit that theme on the head. They don't want to be overt and obvious about it. But it does not feel like the threads are there for them to even suggest that is right. That is it would feel almost like it was shoehorned in yeah. any later. But we may get to that if we have a little bit of time for things to breathe and we just need characters to actually kind of converse in a way that feels natural and not like what this reminds me a little bit of. When I was watching The Dark Knight, as much as I love The Dark Knight and I think it's a great movie, I remember the first time I saw it in theaters, there are a few little scenes in there that feel like, quick, we need this scene to get us here. And there's one in particular. It's it's an exchange between Lucius and uh, the guy. Mr. Reese. Yes. yes. And it's the most bullshit scene and it's so poorly paced and it cuts is, is it the one where, where mr reese is like i did the numbers and there's all this weird stuff about applied sciences and i think mr wayne's batman basically it, it's one of those and yeah. it's just it's just real dumb and it it, it could have been fine but it's handled really poorly in an in an otherwise fantastic movie and it has always stuck out and bothered me because the it it throws off the pacing of of that movie too it actually like i mean the literally the first time in two in 2008 that i saw the dark knight this scene made me go why was that there <laughs> so i guess even the first one where he's like i know mr wayne wants to know how his trust fund is replenished but he's making us look like fools and then lucius is like go do the numbers again drone and <laughs> <laughs> corporate drone number 10 <laughs> so yeah and Anyway, that's neither yeah. here. That, I'm just saying that there are, there are scenes in this that feel like they're handled almost the same way, where it's just like, Lee, we need to get along to this next scene. Yeah. So, 
As far as the first act goes, though, the 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 actual murder, the 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 body is remarkably close to the book. I was actually surprised that they went as far as they did. They didn't go all the way. They almost do though, because more embellishes a little bit more of it, and they almost do. They almost make it as grisly as it is in the book, but it's damn close. It's yeah. as close as you're going to get for TV. I don't know if I'm if I'm. Uh I don't know if I'm just mostly desensitized. I was a little surprised that they kind of just straight out showed everything, but like it didn't feel as grisly as something as as other things we've seen have been. Not even on HBO, but just on like Fargo on FX and like other kinds of stuff. So it didn't or True Detective or True well yeah. True Detective's HBO. So like oh, that, yeah. uh, that oh, can I'm be sorry. that can be. I I expect that to go a little further. But it doesn't feel like this even reaches that basic cable, like even necessarily Breaking Bad and some like that kind of stuff. So I don't know. The but, part that made it really the way that the captain picked up the head and kind of twisted it. Yes. I was like, ooh, that was gross. Like, yeah, that was that's cool. that's true. That his even touching the body. I'm like, why are you even touching it right now? Like, I don't know. But anyway. Uh, so that was just the teaser. That wasn't even Act 1. Right, yeah. Uh, act 1, Dr. Chrysler is asked to quote-unquote cure a child of his fire setting and bedwetting as it appears he runs some kind of child rehabilitation center, is how I wrote it out in my notes here. You are correct. However, the father thinks that uh, Laszlo is a fraud. Meanwhile, John Moore brings his illustration to Laszlo, who finds it quite useless and questions John about what he actually saw at the scene. John recounts the disturbing image in graphic detail and demands to know what it's all about. And he informs an unaware Laszlo that a suspect is already in custody. Um, yeah, so we've talked a little bit about this, but like the, the fact that like <laughs> I was like, I guess that's Laszlo's place or like does he work in an insane asylum or like what? Like I didn't the first time around I was like I don't really know what's going on here but maybe this is his thing and then the second time around I was like okay this is like there's nobody else here it's just him. Yeah, so. he and he is continually taking on I don't want to call them students but he's taking on awards in order to keep them out of prison. Like if he genuinely if he thinks he can help them he's going to try. Yeah. And Stevie is actually a reformed okay. uh, convict yeah. as well and that's another little thing that was missing cuz that captain handlebar mustache fella he knows Stevie in the book as soon as he sees him he goes, "Oh, what you doing, Mr. Moore hanging out with this the likes of this one?" and and Stevie like threatens him because Stevie is known by many of the cops because he's like he's got a nickname. They call him Steve Pipe because he used to carry around a a uh, piece of like plumbing and that was like his weapon of choice and mm-hmm. he like clobbered tons of cops with it and like put dudes in the hospital when he was like got caught like stealing or whatever he would so he's known for being violent a violent criminal against police so yeah. the police don't like him either and again that's just not even touched on and i was like well that could come later it and could. there are a lot of things that could come later but uh i feel like it just would have been good to get it out of the way yeah and 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 let you know who all these people are yeah because well, every every for- for like for this being the pilot of the show, the characterization is very important. Yes. We need that shorthand to not only make the hour feel useful, but also to get us to buy into the show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this episode failed. You that. need to care about all these characters. Even so Cyrus, his like coach driver, the the yeah. the black dude. He's important. Mary, the the maid at the house, she's really important. Like both of them are characters that matter in the book, and Moore knows both of them. Like he's on first name friendly basis with them, and 
they're both important characters and they're really they're pretty rich characters in the book and i when i saw they were on the cast list i was like oh my god yes like i was really yeah. excited and then they're but they don't really feel like the they, they feel they feel like Oh, that's Laszlo's servant people. Right. His like, name is Cyrus because he said that. And he said, thank you, Cyrus, and closed <laughs> yeah. the door. But he, he's not a servant. He's a member of the family. Like he's, yeah. these, they, these three people, Stevie, Cyrus, and Mary, they live in Laszlo's house. Like they live yeah. there. They are his family. And that's really important. And in the show, you just don't, you don't know anything about who they are. I and think I, they try to like play that a little bit towards the end of the show. When isn't, is Mary crying at the end when she... Yeah. And it, yeah. Which it's not like without any of what you just said, I was just kind of like, this is a weird scene. Uh, it's and still then... weird. I'll tell you that it's still, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. Yeah. So, but... The, but the biggest takeaway from this is, okay, so Moore's illustration is useless. End scene on Moore being an illustrator. <laughs> That's what you said in the primer. You're like, why don't I don't know if that was in the primer or to me, but you were like, I don't understand why they made him an illustrator. He should just be a crime reporter. Photography existed. <laughs> like, take a damn picture yeah. of the body and let Laszlo look at it, or just let Laszlo go to the crime scene. Let him bring more because Moore is a reporter in the book. He has a good memory for details, <laughs> and say, tell me what you saw from your perspective. And you could have had the exact same scene and it would have been better. And there's, now, there's, Instead of, now there's literally no reason for more to be in the show. <laughs> no. He could, well, you're not real good for this investigation, John. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Other than that he does work for the paper, he still works for the Times. But if you're going to dive into the criminal underbelly and you want someone who has contacts in the underworld who also works for a newspaper, who are you going to want, the reporter or the guy who draws pictures? Yeah. You're going to want the damn reporter. Yeah. Someone who has the skills of an investigator who can lend some skill set to your investigation. Because when Chrysler, Chrysler I, I might slip and call him Chrysler a couple times because that's how I read it for like forever. Yeah. He, he is concerned with putting together a small team that can covertly and quietly investigate this without causing a big kerfuffle in society because... He knows he can be shut down quickly because of his bizarre nature of his work. People don't like him. People don't like Roosevelt, so if they know he's involved, so it has to be quiet. Sarah's there because she works at the police headquarters. She can go in and out and get things without being noticed because no one pays attention to her anyway because she's a woman. Yeah. She's very important for that. They all have a very distinct role. And John's like, I can do cartoons, though. <laughs> like, it just... it it. Isn't really this a haunting picture of a boy that's dead? That's no good uh, from an investigative perspective, you say? <laughs> well, I should go back to the brothel, I guess. It just it, it kind of boggles my mind in a little way because in the book you can tell these people are all here for a specific reason. In fact, that's even mentioned early on that Moore says, clearly our, our fates were aligned to be to all meet at the same place at the same time. And then he makes a crack about free will and how... how Chrysler would interpret that like maybe we were all supposed to be there at the same time because we all have these skills and we all brought something to the table that the other didn't have and I'm failing to see what integral role Moore will play and Moore is arguably the least useful in the book because he's your, he's your cipher yeah. he frequently gets sent on weird errands to just go knock on doors but he has an investigator's mind and maybe he will in the show maybe he'll be like oh I'm on crime scenes all the time. I do stories, whatever. They might figure it out, but I just... But then even that, like the this the the sight of the boy breaks him. Like he right. talks about how much it bothered him. So it's not even like... 
I've been on so many crime scenes. It's still, yeah. Like I, I get that maybe this is an outstanding, that's like, a good grisly image, and and maybe that plays to the horror of the crime. But it doesn't even necessarily seem like he's the one that's always called to the scene for crimes. You know, like it's not right. You he know. probably does like just witness sketches of yeah them. like not even like the yeah. the he talks about how there was a piece in the times about sarah right i think mm-hmm. and he's like i didn't write the piece i just drew the picture like <laughs> this wouldn't dude, it be what does this dude do <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> it be funnier if he had written the story though like wouldn't that joke be so much better yeah. if he was the one who wrote a story that she took a lot of issue with like that would be I feel like my that is my major issue, my my big thing, because he is effectively the main character of the book. Yeah. If he's not the main character of the show, that's fine. But keep him pretty true to where he came from, because you don't need to mess with it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I. You know what? Uh, I. That's the thing. Maybe the show will will pull the wool back, like past our eyes, and will somehow make it seem as though it was a good choice but right now neither you nor i are seeing <laughs> I feel like why. you're gonna be watching and, and and from here on be like man what would this scene be like if more <laughs> was a reporter you might have just broken the show for <laughs> me <laughs> i'm really sorry <laughs> it's okay and for any okay. listeners who feel that way now as well but th- this is this is the biggest thing i walked away from this episode upset with because i really more is my favorite character in the book because yeah. He partially because he is the character that you're in his mind, but he has such a cool perspective of all the characters and he is he's the writer in the group. So it's his story. And the the way yeah. the way that when you're in his head, he's describing who these characters are. It just makes sense and it helps bring the, bring it to life. So I don't know. That's I, I I just thought that scene was almost funny. Like I almost laughed because I was like, "Well, why the why the hell did you send him up there to take to draw a picture anyway?" Like I, I guess there may like it, from that sense, I could see it as him being the person who's pulling together the bigger story, and maybe an outsider essentially will have the perspective to look at it in a way that you know Laszlo's going to be hyper focused on details and. Sarah's Sarah's got her role to kind of get them the information that they need and Teddy probably just wants the investigation done and quiet but John is maybe in a position to look at it all and and bring it together but at the same time it he just kind of feels a little useless at the moment well like what would be better think of like a characterization kind of like Michael Keaton from like Spotlight like that's the way he should be, or Ruffalo from Spotlight. Either of those characters, because they're both anybody fantastic. from Spotlight. Yes, a, a reporter, <laughs> <laughs> an actual yes. reporter. Downey from Zodiac. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just it it makes for a a more compelling character. Like to me, a guy who sketches just isn't that interesting because but it I, doesn't feel. Part, part of me also feels like the that might put Laszlo and Moore too close to each other in terms of like. Like I feel maybe that's just the characterization of Laszlo in the show. Maybe Laszlo needs to be shown as more of a tool and like uh uh something like a, a problem solver to throw out a problem whereas more needs to be the one piecing it all together. But that's not it doesn't that doesn't feel how the show is doing it. Well, and and the way that this may be helpful is the way it may still work out is Chrysler can't he can't really walk in and out of crime scenes unnoticed. He draws attention. He this is a big thing in the book. He's like I, I he tends to draw attention wherever he goes. And 
part of the reason Moore is helpful is because, like I said, a lot, a lot of it has to do with his contacts. Because he is a reporter, he's been, he has walked every mile of the city. He knows people everywhere. And so he's like, hey, oh, uh, I'm going to go talk to so-and-so because they know somebody and they might be able to tell me a piece of information I can use as leverage later. Which is fun stuff. It's fun to watch. It's almost like, again, in Sherlock, like his kind of homeless network. He's got people around the city that can help him find yeah. out information quickly. Or John Wick. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, the Pigeon Network. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, and I, so I guess the thing is that Moore can still do those things oh, yeah. in this what, role. What I meant to say is Moore, part of the reason Moore is, is helpful in the book is because he can he can walk on and off of crime scenes and no one takes no because he's a reporter. He's supposed to be there. But an illustrator, it feels like you can't walk onto a crime scene with like your pad and pencil and stand there and start sketching without somebody going, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, like that doesn't feel like anything that cops would ever allow. That's not inconspicuous. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Like whereas a guy walking a guy poking his nose in and going, Hey, what happened here? And like and you know, loud mouthing to distract them while you're looking around and taking in the info. And part of the reason they do that is in the book they he they have him go to different crime scenes to see if they're even related because yeah. he knows the details, he knows what the bodies are gonna look like. He's looking for the MO and the same Correct, yeah. yeah. Rather than just like, Oh, this guy was shot in the face. And I guess that's the thing. Maybe as an illustrator, he's expected to have the eye for detail. That that's a good point. Like maybe maybe that is some of the mindset there, but that's you know. actually a great point, and that that could be the angle. Because, but but at the same time, for there to be a scene in this show where the illustrator walks in and the dude who requested the illustration is like, "This is useless. This to is me. shit. <laughs> Thanks for nothing." <laughs> maybe that maybe that's just uh, you know, and this is a beautiful piece of artwork, but it means nothing to me, you know. And it could get to the point where Chrysler says like I picked you because of your eye but I need you to to not romanticize these to not make these pretty drawings I need accurate relay of information and so maybe more will be like okay and like they can work on he can become more of like a crime scene analyst than just a illustrator <laughs> maybe at the end of the show he graduates to being a crime reporter they know. wanted to give him an arc. It's just in, in the book, it's so clean and it's so economical. And it's just, here's what this guy does. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. This is why he's on the team. Boom. Yeah. There you go. And now there's two guys making a podcast about it. It's scratching our heads. <laughs> it just didn't need to happen. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's going to be better, which is why I have issue with it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. We'll see. We'll see. Sure. But I think you've you've driven your thesis home for me. And I, Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right, act two, John and Laszlo visit the suspect, Mr. Wolf, eventually finding out that he didn't kill the child. We meet Chief Burns, who appears to also have some contempt for Teddy. Uh, Laszlo and John come talk to Teddy, but end up meeting John's old family friend, Sarah Howard, first. Upon meeting with Roosevelt, Laszlo informs him that Wolf didn't do it and that the murder may be connected to the Zweig case from three years ago. But Laszlo wants access to the postmortem files while Teddy argues that it's unethical and it won't happen. Uh, this scene that you talked about a little bit earlier about it's the first meeting of all three of them together, at least, and even Sarah. But uh, before we get to that, um, is Mr. Wolf in the book <coughs> at all? Yeah, uh, I think this happens. I think this is one of the things that happens a lot earlier than it does in the book. Okay. I think the... Them catching a suspect and... Trying to pin it on him, even though he clearly didn't do it. Just a violent guy that they're already going to execute. But part of the reason that happens in the book is they just want it to get off the desk. Like, most of the police 
including Roosevelt, say, come on, Laszlo, like, the guy did it. He's crazy. Like, let's just move along. And, La- and Laszlo is very like, no, there will be another. He's almost kind of like Somerset from Seven, where he's kind of like, there's going to be another one of these. You just got to keep your eyes out. And he's trying to prevent more because these are children getting killed. Yeah, well, and, he's the one that notices the pattern, essentially, you know? So it's kind of like it, it, it makes sense that he's tuned into this idea at least well and laszlo even in the prior scene where he's asking more to recollect the crime scene he says were they like he asks him a really important detail which he points he is actually the one to point out in the book like in terms of the style of the cuts on the on the body he's like are they precise and done with care or are they random and like murderous and that is a detail that he is the one to bring to the table in the book because he's kind of like examines it because he actually does an autopsy on it in the book on the body. Yeah. And I think that's the first time you meet him. I think Moore finally makes it to City Hall and Laszlo's leaving the operating theater, I think. And I could be wrong and I'll find out probably this week because I'll, I'll be there in the book. Yeah. But the scene with Wolf, and I think his name might be different in the book, but it... Uh, it does yield the same result where they they go to interview him to find out if he did it. And Laszlo basically baits him. It's almost better in the book, surprise, that Laszlo kind of baits him into like angrily, the crime of passion. Ang- angrily describing the crime scene and, and completely getting it all wrong. Yeah. And then having hard proof with more there to be like, yo, the dude is wrong. Like he yeah. didn't do it. He Rather doesn't. than just the theory of like, oh, he committed a crime of passion and killed his lover or whatever. So... The scene overall was fine. I thought it went on a little too long. I was like, where are we going with this? And like when he goes into the cell, I was like, that's just dumb. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not gonna do that. Like Laszlo's smarter than that. He wouldn't do that in the book. He'd be like, No, that guy's a that guy's a psycho. Like I don't need to go into the cell to break through to him. He's just kind of Hannibal Lecter ish in that he can talk this information out of people. He's he's a psychiatrist. Like he knows what to say and what buttons to push to get the information he wants. Yeah. Let's see that instead. Show me a really compelling scene of dialogue rather than like, guard, let me in. <laughs> no, dude, why? Why would you do that? He just killed someone. He'll kill you. One of the things that I wanted to note about that scene and the way that it was collected on my second viewing, and, and I guess maybe I don't want to look at you as I say these things, but the the presentation of the captain, the captain, uh, the captain saying, oh, there's been a confession. Like the reporters are talking to the captain about the case and he's he's all, oh, we got a confession and he's being he's displaying his bravado of, oh, another case cleared. And then also like the sinister nature of the retired police chief, the Burns, sergeant, Ted yeah. Levine, uh, kind of just being there. To me, it put together this air of like they caught this guy to throw them off of the case. And so that I feel like the cinematic language of the show that I'm still getting used to and the Westworld watcher in me <laughs> is trying to tease out these details. So I don't know if that's a plan and I don't necessarily need you to comment on it if you don't feel like you can, but it, it just felt like to me, like that is maybe what they want me to think, whether or not it's true. I think it's, it's pretty reasonable to assume that in this era cops just aren't going to care about crimes like this. They're they're in their in their eyes these are like bastard children of people that they don't want there anyway. So if they can just put a bow on it and say yay, great police work, we caught the killer and move it a- along and off the desk, of course they're going to do that. But some of it almost felt like to me it, and maybe it's just Ted Levine's beautiful mug. It it felt like he was kind of there to 
make sure that it that the that the theory was bought and that everybody's on it and everybody's good and, and they believe everything. So, I think that's very insightful of you. Okay. But yeah. So that 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 was kind of my feeling of all that stuff. Uh, You're right though, that mug, the way he the way he side eyes those guys as they walk by, I was like, ooh, that was good. Ted Levine is one of those Ted Levine just it's blasting not smoke out of a pipe. Yeah. It's not even necessarily his face, but his voice to me is a really iconic voice. And that too. twinkle in his eye. He's got those real like He's just anything that I see him in, I'm like, yeah, Ted Levine. Oh yeah. Always good. The man has probably never put in a poor performance in his life. He's probably been no. in some shit movies, but he's probably <laughs> he's always still been very entertaining. Good. It. Yeah. Uh, so the next scene was them was us meeting. Also, all of the press sees Chrysler get out of the of the carriage and and rushes over to him. So yeah, yeah. Once he, again, I mean, the he display is, that people know who he is and that they want to know what he's thinking. He's kind of an oddity. Yeah, and not, and not only in profession but personally as well. He's a little peculiar. So I think that the, they are kind of drawn to him. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the characterization of Sarah? How do you feel about this? Is something Dakota I did not Fanning? expect to like, yeah. but I actually did quite a bit. Yeah, I think she really nails the tone. So my, I told you this. I think either during the recording of our primer, but I already had someone in mind who I thought would have been really good. And watching the show now, I feel like there is obviously a big age gap between her and Luke Evans. Yeah, and they are family friends, but. As far as I've always understood it, the age gap wasn't quite that severe in the books. They're more within a couple years, and I could be wrong. It may actually be larger than I've always thought, and maybe yeah. it's just very briefly mentioned. But Well, and age gaps in the late 19th century were less of a thing, sure. less of a problem. And the, and the age, the casting, the age of Chrysler and, and, well, of Daniel Brühl and Luke Evans is actually pretty spot on. They are... The ages are firmly established in the book, and they're almost exactly within a year or two of how old they're supposed to be. So that's perfect. Well, and the thing to me, though, I, both of them f- don't show their age. Like, they they typically look, to me, in a lot of their performances, a lot younger than yeah, they actually yeah. are. I mean, they're, they're, so in, they're in good shape. From, from that sense, too, like yeah. Dakota Fanning... It's also really hard to see Dakota Fanning in a world where she's not like twelve, because that's yeah. w- like, of course, that's how she she struck it. So it's kind of you know. But with those things aside, there's still kind of that. Yeah. Well, mini mini spoiler for the book, and it's not. <sighs> <laughs> there's there's a joke, there's a jokey relationship between Moore and Sarah, like they. They aren't strangers in the book. They they know each other well, and they there there's a there's a one off joke that like oh more you should date Sarah, and he like laughs and he's like oh I already tried that. It's like a joke because more was engaged prior to the events of the book, but he broke it off, and it was with like a high society woman who he thought was really boring and just didn't want to marry. And then at one one night, and this is mentioned more than once. He got drunk while he was hanging out with Sarah and they were walking around and he proposed to her, like just said, like, we should get married and proposed to her. And she like punched him in the face and he like fell in the river. And it's like this joke that like she she holds that over him sometimes like, you know, you're not going to get liquored up again around me. Like, you know what happens (laughs) because she's very tough as nails. Yeah. Like we're talking like Tulip from Preacher. Like she does not take any shit. She carries a gun with her like she's. This girl is tough. Yeah. And it's almost like a thing where more, there are these, they have these little moments in the book where he'll like say something and she kind of gives him the look or she, she actually p- 
pulls a gun on him once or twice in the book when he says something. He's always like, whoa, hey, like, <laughs> picture your most, like, Harrison Ford throw up the hands and go, hey, calm down. It's all good. Yeah. Like, those kind of moments happen. So there's this joke that he did propose to her once when he was drunk and, like, kind of miserable and didn't obviously mean it, but just did it. And she, pu- her reaction was to punch him and throw him in the river or whatever. And so in right away in the show when they kind of have this moment where she keeps correcting him to call her Miss Howard and stuff. And he kind of, he kind of smiles for a second. He kind of gets a little laugh out of it. Yeah. I liked that. Cause I was like, they should have kind of this dynamic of like, yeah, I'm kind of the dumb boy that you know from being kids and that kind of thing. But they're so far apart in age in the show that I don't see that being the backstory at all. I think I've already pretty much been like, that's probably not. It. Yeah. But I can still see a world where like judging by the rest of the scenes with her in the show, in this episode, like, her um she's battling for respect on every front absolutely and 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 for someone like john who she knows to not be giving it to her i think it bothers her more than like the captain screwing with her obviously right and And she feels the ability to also enforce it on him too to like call him on it and he, so. he I, I don't think it ever for, from him is coming from a place of disrespect. It's just he knows her, so he wants to call her Sarah. It's a friendly relationship. Right, like and any, in, the, in, yeah. the, in the setting of the police headquarters, she's like, you will call me Miss Howard because she wants everyone to, to treat her with respect. So yeah. anyway, I always really thought that Vera Farmiga would kill it in this role. Mm. I always really had her pictured because the way she is described in the book is pretty accurate to the way she looks in the show with like her hair really pulled back and really buttoned up and put together and i feel like vera farmiga frequently plays characters like that yeah she's really good at it i think of her from like source code and um up in the air she's mm-hmm. kind of can be very business business woman-y and she can she's very beautiful where you would want to talk to her but she's also very intense and very intimidating and i think that she would have characterized it really well but she's obviously she's probably older than luke evans and daniel Bruhl. So we would have had a different character. Yeah. But Dakota Fanning, I think she she embodies it really well. She's got the spirit of Sarah really, really good where she's she's real feisty. And I don't mean that like a condescending way, but she's got like kind of a, she won't just, she won't take shit off of people, which I think is great. Like the scene where the captain makes a joke to her about his dick and yeah. she makes a really good one-liner right back she to him. She sings right back. It's yeah. perfect. And I, I was like, wow, I was really impressed with her. And I read somebody online criticizing the, they said it just felt too just too blunt with like oh she's she's not your average girl because they said there's all these scenes with her like saying defiant things and we see her smoking and all this stuff and talking about how she the show tried too hard to illustrate that she is a tough girl but i didn't think i didn't feel that way at all i thought okay she's having a cigarette because it's normal back then like that someone called that out as like a trying too hard like women didn't smoke and i was like probably (laughs) everyone did everybody yeah what are you talking about i really loved it because it was a moment of her like she went home she relaxed at home and we got to see her a little more vulnerable and a little more relaxed and like less composed and she let her hair down like literally and figuratively and she strikes up a cigarette and she looks at this picture and i was like everything about this scene is is perfect to me i really like i really liked everything they did with her i thought it was really good yeah no i agree and i like how roosevelt roosevelt treats her the way she wants to be treated which is probably true of how everybody felt around teddy roosevelt but he's very like miss howard and he's very and who's the i think it's john who says like maybe guys we should tone down the violence you know yeah he's treating her more delicately and he does that in the book too and she gets pissed and she's like how dare you sir kind of thing and chrysler's 
Chrysler really likes Sarah in the book. He like he immediately takes a liking to her. Yeah. And I it, it's not really evident in the show yet if that's going to be the case, but he definitely kind of had a moment of like amusement. He seemed like he kind of Yeah, well, it. and John too is kind of like, "Oh no, oh no." <laughs> like don't you take an interest in her kind of thing. Yeah, and Chrysler's him. kind of like, "Hey." And they have this kind of moment. She's like, "I've read your work. It's fantastic." He's like, "Thank you." And they have this kind of moment and I was like, "I dig this." Like yeah. this this Everything within that scene worked really well. Continuing on into it's probably the best the act of the of the show. Yeah, essentially, it was, very, yeah. it was good. And that felt all pretty true to the spirit of the book. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on on the Roosevelt office scene? We kind of got that out of the way. Yeah, I still just oh, wish yeah. I wish Roosevelt was more Roosevelt. Yeah, he just isn't there. He hasn't gone full Roosevelt yet. Yeah, and I I don't like that. Uh, Act three at Laszlo's behest, John asks Sarah for the Zweig case file, and Sarah is resistant, but her facade breaks when John shows her the drawing of the dead boy. Commissioner Roosevelt meets with businessman Kelly and El- uh, businessmen Kelly and Ellison, and gets them to agree to close down Paris's Hall, only for them to bribe the captain as he watches them move the brothel effectively across the street. As the Zweig children were found, uh, no, excuse me. As Laszlo stands at the base of the water tower, presumably where the Zweig children were found, a shadowy figure cooks organs and potentially the eyes taken from Giorgio. Uh, yeah, so the the business people, you've got good cop, bad cop kind of going on. There's the dude who's the hothead, like, why, uh, we're, we're business people. We're doing what we want to do. You're not going to shut us down. And then the other guy's obviously being more amicable well amicable and then saying we're still going to do whatever we want we're just going to move it across the road are they are they big characters in the in the book they are okay so so biff ellison is the one who effectively biff Biff. and you know what when i read that falk uh herschel i think is his last name or or henschel the guy who plays biff ellison when i read he was going to play him i was like that's Perfect. <laughs> because he looks like a, a new mini version of Brian Johnson, who was the killer in Cobra and like Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He plays Shao Kahn. He looks just like him. And I think that's great. And he's, I know I've seen him in one or two other things, but I don't remember what. But anyway, he's really good. And Biff Ellison is the one who really runs Parisis Hall. And Paul Kelly is kind of the... He's above Biff, basically. He's kind of Biff's yeah. boss. Yeah. And when Paul Kelly rolls up in the book, it's a big deal. And he doesn't show up that early at all. You're actually like, can, people continually reference him like, oh man, I don't know, Mr. Moore, you don't want me telling Mr. Kelly you've been snooping around here. And Moore's just kind of like, eh, yeah, well, go ahead, tell him. Like, what's he going to do? But Paul Kelly is always used as a threat. And when he shows, when he does show up in the book, he literally rolls up in his coat like more is on his way somewhere and this carriage just pulls up in front of him and the door opens up paul kelly's and he's like hey why don't you jump in and more's like oh holy shit i'm in some trouble now as this guy can literally drive me to the end of the pier and shoot me in the face and throw me in the river and no one will care nobody's gonna ask about it and when he's just in the scene i was like oh man you're wasting a a great reveal later of somebody who's like really this is like when the emperor shows up in return of the jedi it's not i'm not equating him to the emperor in terms of power but it is kind of like that where Biff would be the Darth Vader and he'd be like, I don't know, he's man. A, he's, he's like, he's a bigger bad. He's the, he is. yeah. And, and also n- like a potential, like we have a shadowy figure in the show to sort of treat him also as a shadowy figure is a good red hand. Yeah. And, and, and absolutely. And he, 
he's scary. Like in the show, he's scary because like Biff isn't really scary. Biff talks a big talk, but more can be like, Hey man, I'll just report you for this. And then Biff's just kind of like grumble, grumble. Like Biff makes a lot of empty threats yeah. that many people will listen to because they don't know any better, but these guys are all kind of a little more hip to it. So they just kind of go, Oh, he's more of an annoyance, but Paul Kelly is the real threat and he has enough power both as a sort of crime Lord, but he's also like in, he has a lot of the high society types in his pocket so he can make a lot of... He's probably best buds with Ted. He can make a, pow- a lot of powerful people look the other way. Yeah. So Roosevelt hates him, naturally. He hates that, both of them. Yeah. So for him to, to call both of them into his office is one thing. But in the uh, in the book... When I say best buds with Ted, I mean Ted Levine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doyle. Or yeah. wait, Burns? Is uh, he Burns? Chief Burns. He's yeah. Burns. Doyle is the captain, probably. Uh, no, that's another person. Handlebar mustache. Who's Doyle? Anyway... Sergeant Doyle is somebody. Yeah, I don't know that we've met him yet. Uh, It's Captain uh, Connor is the... Hmm. Maybe they changed Doyle to Burns because I feel like they're the same character. There's another Doyle on the the call sheet here. Oh, okay. Right on. Okay, well, never mind. Anyway, it was... uh, I didn't really love that. I thought that could have, again, been something they could have let linger for a little bit longer, but... Yeah. Whatever. It It is what it is. As far as the casting, Paul Kelly seems fine. He's not at all how they describe in the book, but it doesn't really matter. But Biff is like pretty spot on. Yeah. The shadowy figure stuff. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah. Too yeah. motherfucking soon. Don't yeah, like show I, us that he collected the eyeball. I was not expecting... Yeah, the, 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 the idea of they all assume that the eyes were taken out by birds or birds yeah yeah you should think that too sorry well but also (laughs) the and we'll talk about this too but the isaacson's uh uh autopsy they're knocking on something there and and seeing the eye that has like gouges out of it it's kind of like the 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 eye socket you know so that that kind of plays his hand there too but uh you know it it didn't feel i don't feel I didn't necessarily walk out of it thinking that's too soon, especially because we only have 10 episodes. This is like an end of episode four kind of thing. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like I needed to see it right now. And, and I felt, I also felt weird about seeing a figure in the street, like Laszlo seeing somebody in the street too. Like that to me felt like, wow, this is like, this dude's like hot on his tail. Like the, the, he's, and he's playing a game with Laszlo too. So it you know Let's i guess we we can we can we can kind of uh we're running a little long here but yeah i'm ready to act four sarah catches john exiting his favorite brothel to hand him the survived case file despite the lewd and lascivious neighborhood that they're in laszlo looks over the report and finds that there was never any real autopsy performed on the bodies so he has them exhumed Mrs. Vig pays Laszlo a visit to probe him for details about Giorgio, but in her grief ends up blaming Laszlo for her children's deaths, since Laszlo didn't cure her child of his desire to wear a dress. Uh, yeah. Do you want to stop there to, to talk about anything? Do you want to talk about Mrs. Vig? Yes. Yeah. The Zweig thing is also has been front-ended big time. This connection is not made this early in the book, and it's kind of robbing the show of... The, the investigation is immediately being handed a big, giant connection that they, yeah. don't, they don't stumble into until later. And 
it's not way later, but it's later enough that you as the reader go, oh, that's interesting. And literally, it's it's at the end of the teaser of this, that you see you see Laszlo holding this picture that says Benjamin, Benjamin and Sophia. Yeah. And I literally like went, <laughs> and like slumped, and I was like, are you serious? Did I, and then I, and then I actually checked to make sure my, the episode wasn't at the very end, because it's literally at the beginning. And yeah. I was like, this is way too early. Like, what are you doing? So that, that bothers me. And Mrs. Zweig, Zweig, why is she American? She speaks in a perfect, plain, Midwestern accent. Yeah. And this... Yeah. I was even... I was in, like I was kind of wondering, because you had noted in the primer and in other discussions that the, the people that were being killed were immigrants. And I was kind of like... Is that something I'm supposed to know yet, according to the show? But the show is like hiding it to unreal degrees, essentially. Like Giorgio, obviously, like whatever. Giorgio Santarelli doesn't. He sounds like a first generation immigrant. Absolutely. If if I'm being prejudiced and <laughs> ridiculous, I guess. But also like Mrs. Vig, like the like. It feels like these people could still be immigrants, but from what we're presented, maybe not. And I don't really, you know, necessarily feel like that's a thread. It's like you said, with the, like I said, in regards to the theme, it doesn't feel like they're laying that groundwork. No, and the captain says in regard to the Santarellis, he says, oh, he lives in the slum down by whatever. Like he points out where he's from because he knows the beat because he's a street cop. He knows where a lot of the ghettos are or whatever. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that. But Mrs. Zweig looks, she looks pretty fine. Like her clothing is nice. She has a nice hat, a nice veil. Actually, the scene felt like kind of a weird companion piece to the scene in Jaws where the mother of the first boy who dies confronts Roy Scheider in the street after the funeral and slaps him. Yeah. They have like remarkably similar like veils and presentations. And I was like, I doubt it's a reference to that, but I like really enjoyed it. I was like, this is reminding me of that. And it just made me think of how much I love Jaws. I thought but, it was weird that she was still like dressed in mourning for this murder that happened three years ago. I mean, kind of. the scene but. itself wouldn't really bother me, but the fact that when she opened her mouth, like plain English came out without even the hint of an accent, I was like, this woman should be Germanic in some way. I think even part of the relationship, and I, I think I'm, I think I'm accurate, but I think part of the reason they work with Laszlo in the book is because he speaks German, because his parents are German or Austrian, Hungarian. Yeah. He he has a tie to that community, and I think that's part of the reason he takes such an interest in those twins is because they're from similar heritage that he is. And again, another reason the casting of Daniel Bruhl is great, because yeah. he is. <laughs> that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that... like. I feel in a way I'm fine with Luke Evans's more. I, when I heard that, I was like, that's kind of exciting. Cause Luke Evans can play that, you know, sprinkle a little bit of that Gaston in there and yeah. you pretty much got, you're getting close, but he's English and him, an, an American kind of accent coming out of his mouth sounds kind of funny. And you almost should have cast somebody who's just like as, as Manhattan as you can find. And there's a lot of that flying around in the show. There's a lot of, there's like Stevie's got a real New York thing going on. But it's fine; it'll work. But uh, what I'm saying is, part of the part of that ancestry is important to those characters, and and that just kind of really rubbed me the wrong way. That this person who should should be a little more 
I mean, even the idea of what makes an American an American over a hundred years ago is different than today. I mean, there's well, a lot being more people a that are first generation immigrant. Like, you know, there are kids nowadays that are maybe second or third generation that still have that twinge of of German to them because their parents grew up around it and still had that. The that inflection still the, yeah. exists. Yeah, absolutely. So that feels like a weird, just a weird oversight that kind of bothered me. Yeah, but we can. We'll we'll see how that evolves. Yeah, with how the details of the Zweig children. Yeah, uh, yeah, start we'll, to come into play. We'll see, I suppose. And the, it, I think uh, I don't. I don't know if you want to talk about this too much, but the idea of the, the both of the children uh, wearing dresses, essentially like that being. Was it more? Was it more about that connection being made already? Was it about this vibe people being dragged into the story in the first episode? Was your? I don't really want that? to talk about okay. it too much right now. All right. That's fine. Uh, it to me just kind of felt like a very. It feels like a thread that the show's going to be plucking at, and so. Yeah it it should have been, it should have been a. The episode, I would have liked it better had the episode ended with Laszlo pulling out that picture and saying, like, and having kind of an aha moment to leave us hanging for episode two, like, well, wait, what? Yeah, but it, like, it, it, it does, it feels like one of those things where, I don't know, I guess the thing is, like, does the book, what in the book makes them think there's going to be a pattern? Is it just mysterious and they're kind of like Teddy wants to look into it more? I think it's actually more uh, Laszlo that's pushing for it because he's the one kind of looking at it and saying, this is not murder per se. This is not a crime of passion. This is not This is a for robbery. sport or for fun. Like, this is meditated. This is yeah. highly thought out. And he's the one who doing, well, while examining at the crime scene and examining the body, he's the one saying this is someone's, canvas basically like this was all designed and executed in a particular way and i highly doubt and he likens it to jack the ripper because this is around like serial killers were not really a thing yet and i feel like that's an important thing for the show that the show is kind of not it's not helping contextualize that that there's no one around it going what the f is a serial killer but laszlo looks at this and says this feels like somebody trying to say something and i don't think they're done talking and Roosevelt kind of scoffs at it. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, that people don't do that. <laughs> and, and Chrysler's like, well, maybe they do kind hmm. of thing. Look at the Ripper cases. And he kind of has to say that there are things developing that are dark and scary and no one knows how to deal with it. And you need to let me handpick some badasses that are going to help me deal with it. Yeah. And Roosevelt's like, grumble, grumble. So I guess, yeah, that that can kind of like... It's not like they necessarily needed to give us that second dot on the line to like we didn't need that yet if they would have presented it in that same way. So it feels I mean the episode could have could have ended with a scene in Roosevelt's office and saying like this is a new type of thing and I don't know that any of us are equipped to figure this out and you could just leave I mean it needs a little bit more of a cliffhanger than it gave us. But it already feels like everything's in motion, essentially, at yeah, this point. Yeah, kind of. So. And we'll talk about that in the next little bit right here, I'm sure. Well, Act 5, uh, Roosevelt loans two detective sergeants to Laszlo for an autopsy on the remains of the Zweig chil- children. 
Upon opening his carriage to head out to lunch, Laszlo finds something in the carriage to lead him to believe that they're being watched. He spots a shadowy figure and chases the figure into an abandoned building where he finds himself at a dead end when the figure supposedly escapes through a hole in the roof. Laszlo shows John that the figure left a severed tongue in their carriage, and finally we see a person, from a first-person perspective, potentially of the killer selecting a new victim. So the Isaacsons. Yes. Fantastic characters. And I think that so far the casting seems like it's really good. I they, immediately tuned into them. I was like, Of right, course you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't wait for you to meet them because I feel like reading the book, I was like, Alex will really enjoy these guys. <laughs> but it's too early. Mm. They they aren't on the scene yet. It just when I did not expect them to be in this episode. When they, when it suddenly started the scene and I saw them before they even said who it was, I was like, "Holy shit, those are the Isaacsons!" And what the what the hell? Like that and the the actual uh, exhuming of the Spike children. That's like a big deal when they finally get permission to do that in the book. It's like a Marcus like calls Chrysler and is like, "Holy shit, they cleared it! This is the breakthrough we've been waiting for." Because they make the connection, but they're not allowed to do what they did. And the show, it's like, here's some that nameless... Feels, that feels really anachronistic to me of like, I feel like even nowadays it would be harder to pull some bodies out you'd, of the, You'd have to pay a bunch of bunch of like dudes, shady dudes illegally to go dig up these bodies. And, not and then put them back. Yeah. 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 Everything about that was mishandled. This was actually probably the most aggravating scene for me because the mm-hmm. Isaacsons, when they come about... Laszlo doesn't entrust them with something incredibly important. He he lets them look at Giorgio's body, I'm pretty sure. And he already knows everything he needs to know by looking at it because he does the autopsy himself. And he's, he's testing he's them. He's kind of He's testing them. And it's so awesome to watch or mm. to, to read in the book while he just watches them. And he says, what do you see? And he picks up on which of them is good at which things. I mean, Chrysler is a brilliant dude. And he likes watching you have fun along with him watching which of the two brothers is good at which things and their dynamic is very like i always picture so they're they're jewish and they're like their their jewish heritage and uh beliefs and culture are really important to them and their characters and it's fun to watch them call each other names and like bicker and like go at each other like brothers, even though they're supposed to be professional police. And they yeah. are the only, I think they're the only Jewish guys on the police force, which also makes them some outcasts. Like there's kind of a merry yeah, band. Yeah, they, they did know to that. On, there's on a the kind of a merry band of misfits theme running here where uh, Moore is kind of the only privileged white American there. And it's kind of fun to watch that unfold. Even Chrysler being a, being a white European man, he has to fight for everything he has. Yeah. He's always under scrutiny. And the Isaacsons are, they're fun to watch because they're always being looked down on because they are firm believers in the burgeoning field of forensic science. And again, they get laughed at a lot by other cops going like, you can't find someone based on a bullet. There's no, all bullets are the same. Like they all, they all look the same. You couldn't trace it back to a unique gun and that kind of science that the Isaacsons believe in. And fingerprinting is actually, that's going to come into play in the show, small spoiler, but fingerprinting isn't a thing at this point. And the Isaacsons even talk about it like it's almost a joke. They're kind of like, yeah, it's, it's something, it's the theory. It's that people have unique fingerprints and maybe we can find somebody based on a trace, a a trace fingerprint. 
things like that that are so much fun to watch in the show because we have an entirely different perspective on it. And Chrysler believes in them wholeheartedly. And when he asks Roosevelt, he's like, I need a couple cops to help me with this. Roosevelt's like, take these two idiots that no one likes. And Chrysler's kind of like, they're perfect. (laughs) Give them to me. (laughs) And in the show, it is so crazy. My head was spinning because he's like, these are the Isaacsons. They're helping me. Bye. And then he just like flies away. Through through, through the window, a hole in the ceiling. Through the window like Mary Poppins. And I was like, wait, what? And he leaves them with, he doesn't know them yet, and he leaves them with integral evidence that he just yeah. got a hold of. Everything about it was like wrong and mishandled. And I was like, well, this is the scene that bothered me the most by far. Wow. Sorry yeah, to, no, sorry to ruin that, that for you. No, 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 yeah, <laughs> no, like I, I, I'm, I'm on your side. I, I, that That sounds frustrating to me, and I haven't even read the book, so... It feels like a missed opportunity for characterization and just insightful storytelling, essentially. Right, and, and, and what what a great way to get to know them other than watching them work and watch Laszlo watch them and see which one is the one who makes jokes and which one is the one who's always sweating because that's one of the character traits, that Marcus is always sweaty. Yeah. He's always dabbing himself and he's always <laughs> like talking and he's like, he's the more, Lucius is the one who's a little more smooth, he's a little more direct. And Marcus is the one who's arguably a little more brilliant, but he's a little more sweaty. <laughs> he's just, he gets nervous, and it's you don't you don't need someone to tell you that because you just get to watch the characters encounter them because they're so odd. They're yeah. this like kind of Tweedledee Tweedledum dynamic, and you see like even I think there's even a point where Moore and Kreisler kind of exchange a glance like these guys are weird. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's kind of the thing to me is that it, it feels like so far from what I'm gathering. And and maybe it's just your skills as a reader and someone who consumes media and things like this, but like it feels like they're focusing so much less on character and so much more on the mystery, and that feels like the wrong choice in a world where you've got a thousand TV shows to watch about mysteries. Yeah, you need to sell us on these people so we care about, we want, to we want them to solve it like the show is not even calling out so far the idea that there aren't serial killers and that this science is all fake to everybody and weird so the fact that they're not even playing off of that it's not doing a good job of giving it that unique fingerprint pardon my pun to 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 make it compelling for tv nowadays like in while watching a lot of great detective stories, you you want them to solve the mystery because you want the bad guy to get caught, but you also want good characters to solve mysteries because you want it for them. You want them to find the piece that they need to find. And with this show, it's it's they're the only character they're really trying with is is Chrysler. And in ways, they're almost trying too hard to where to a weird degree where it just doesn't really work. Yeah. Plus, you're you have the unnecessary like more kind of backstory you're trying to put in there, character trait you don't need it. More is the least interesting character there. He's in his own way the most fun character because he gets to take everything in and, and tell you about it. But every he's he is the Michael Bluth in the scenario, and all the rest of them are the rest of the Bluth family. Like yep. Michael's a great character. But he's the least interesting one. Mm-hmm. But he is... He's in, a good straight man for everybody absolutely. to bounce off That's of. the way Moore should be. Yeah. So you should be f- you should be spending time watching him encounter all these people. 
as a way to introduce you to all these quirky people. At least that's my two cents. But anyway, yeah. TLDR, the Isaacson introduction was clunky. Yeah. And it's a bummer because they're two of the best characters. Uh, any specific thoughts about the shadowy figure other than the too early? Like, did you, did you it, feel it, that it was is too a, early? That, so that sequence pretty much does happen. It's not a foot chase, but somebody throws something into his into Laszlo's carriage, and he it, there is kind of the moment of him looking around, and like yeah. he's like, and then John's like, what is that? And he looks, he goes, oh, what is that? <laughs> he looks at that, and he's like, oh, my God. And then Laszlo's looking around, and Laszlo goes, he's here, and he's watching us right now, and... He knows who we are. And I feel like that would be an infinitely better like ending to the episode than the than <laughs> fucking Superman flew through the ceiling. Pardon my swearing. I'm going to cut that out. But <laughs> <laughs> I already swore a couple times too, and I wish I hadn't. It's a clean. We want to run a clean show here uh, about murder. But yes, <laughs> and that would be that would be so much more effective in a, like a second episode ending kind of thing. Because in yeah. this one he's not supposed to know that they're onto him yet. Mm-hmm. He's at this point still supposed to think he's getting away with it and no one is really onto him. And it's until I think someone publishes something accidentally or somehow something gets let slip and they get kind of pissed. Somehow the killer gets kind of tipped off that he's being watched and he's being tracked. Somebody's on the trail. Yes. And if I'm I won't say that. Okay. That might ruin something later. Um, but yeah, the, again, it's just, and this is what I said when I first got here before we even started recording. I was like, too much stuff happens too soon. You're not giving us any room to explore and to breathe and to get to, to get acquainted with our surroundings and these people that we're going to be on this journey with. It's so much detail and it's, it's a lot of important stuff and stuff that these should be like exclamation marks in the story. Like, whoa, Dude was right near them and he left a tongue in a newspaper in their carriage. He knows who they are. He knows why they're after him. This is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. And in the show, it's it's just kind of like... this. It, like it, Yeah. I don't know. It, it almost is... Uh, it feels very targeted at Laszlo already. And and like to the to the degree of like uh, like a spoilers for Dexter but like a Dexter season one it's Dexter's brother kind of situation sure yeah almost so I'm like that that you know and, and I'm not getting that vibe off of you but I like you don't don't say anything about that but no so. I think that's a good observation to make that it, it is it does wind up in Laszlo's carriage and uh you know Laszlo was meant to be the one to find it that's a good observation but the foot chase is kind of goofy because Laszlo is not really like a super physical dude yeah and it would be more like Moore and Stevie that would take off after yeah. him and, and split up to try to corner him kind of thing. So the whole thing was a little ho-hum. Well, but I did like when, I did really love the setting though when he gets up into the reactor. the attic, yeah. Woo, that was creepy. Yeah. I was like, shit, this is really good. And when he's walking up to the door, I genuinely didn't know what was going to be on the other side of that door. I was yeah. like, I'm along for the ride here and I'm kind of into it. It's kind of eerie. No, it, it was it was a cool sequence but it didn't necessarily like, it doesn't necessarily fit yeah didn't need to be there uh on the topic of laszlo and and his i, I kind of left it out of the my recap here but his monologue about needing to 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 be the one cutting the child and and feeling the the feelings and and embodying the the person who's doing the crime like it it it, it felt to me 
to almost read a little bit like we want you to think Laszlo could be the one doing this almost. And and that's like it it's that feels really cheap to me and I don't Do you as a non reader, do you think that's even remotely possible? Uh at the moment, do I think it's possible? Yes, I think it's possible, but I feel like it'd be really dumb. Like I don't that's not a TV series I want to watch. Right. I don't want to dedicate ten episodes to that. Where the titular alienist is also the killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, 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 it just feels a little a little uh trite and, and, and just kinda, you know, that if this is any consolation, I thought that that monologue was really remarkably stupid. And I thought it was out of place, and I think he does. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonder that he didn't end it with, I need to be the alienist. <laughs> and look into the lens. Yeah. Hot tub time machine. <laughs> I'm going to go to 2018 <laughs> and consult detective minds of the future. Uh, it. He says something to that effect in the book. There is a moment of him saying I'm we're gonna have to go deep and we're gonna have to go dark and we're gonna have to try but in the book it's more we're gonna need to try to rebuild in front of us the mind of the killer so we can understand how he thinks not so much I need to be the killer I uh, yeah I'm not yeah not I am Ghost Rider like there's not <laughs> exactly and this this was almost kind of like felt like Hannibal you haven't watched Hannibal yet have no you? Well, Hannibal, part of what, and it's it's right off the bat in Hannibal, Will Graham's whole deal is that he has such an insane degree of empathy that he can, he can visit a crime scene and he has this little, almost like meditation mantra that he, that he says to himself to, to put him into a weird state where he can take everything in and he almost can put himself in the shoes of the, of the, of the, in the skin of the killer. And they're breathtaking sequences because he, like, uh, will or uh, Hugh Dancy will actually like act out the murder. You see him as the murderer, and it's really cool because he is able to get so far into it that he that it disturbs it. But it ends up taking a psychological toll on him. Like his friends and coworkers are always like, "Yeah, Will's getting sick because he's taking on too much of this because he is he's like he's like on the spectrum of like empathy, basically, to where yeah. he can do something that other people can't, mm-hmm. and it's really fun to watch." And this felt like a really hollow imitation of that, of Chrysler being like, I need to, you know, that whole, all that shit. Yeah. And Mary's, what is she doing? Is she taking his shoes off? She's doing something. Like, she's helping yeah. him with something. She's, she's like helping him undress this. Yeah, and there's a little tear. And I was like, I get that him saying this shit is probably bothering Mary, but we don't know anything about her or her relationship to Laszlo yet. We don't know that these are his, like, best friends and that watching him say shit like that is going to bother them. It makes me worry that those people like her and Cyrus, despite being there, are just going to kind of be in name only. And and like they're going to try to shorthand those relationships into something, but they're not really quite effectively pulling it off. And and the backstories behind Stevie, Cyrus, and Mary are all really good. They're all really great characters, and they're all with Laszlo for a reason. And I hope the show does get into that. But at this point, I'm kind of like, I don't think you know what you're doing with these with, characters. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing is like with you saying that the show feels like it's going fast. It's like, well, but we do have 10 episodes. That's like, true. And, 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 well, no, but like in some respects, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Take your time. And in other respects, it's like you are not going to have enough time to delve into some of these things. It's like it's like they tried to make 
as little choice as possible of like paring it down like i feel like you would be happier with like a lack of cyrus and mary and stevie even if they were like this feels like laszlo this feels like john this feels like sarah this feels like teddy because like even in the world of like we've got four what seem to be central characters here you've got the isaacsons too and you've got the chief and you've got the business people like this is a lot of characters oh yeah for 10 episodes sure and in terms of something being a book books got they've got use of monologues and characters like secret opinions of each other and all these kinds of things to inform that type of stuff and we're not going to have any of that in this so it it feels like it simultaneously feels like too much to take on and also like they've got too many more episodes to be giving things away so early. So it's kind of I think that they are they are not spending time fleshing out and developing characters in favor of getting some of the major beats up front as a way to try to hook people. I think they're trying to insert a lot of these moments to be like to grab people and be like, "Whoa, look at this wacky alienist! What's an alienist?" You know that kind but of. But it doesn't shit. even feel like wacky enough. It doesn't feel salacious enough. It's not. It's not seducing me into caring. It's just kind you, of like you should think these characters are really neat and interesting characters that are different from other characters, and spend the first episode with some of these things that happened, let them happen by all means start with the crime scene on the bridge, but let us get to know all these people first and then let things start happening to them. So we have, have the fun, have the pleasure of knowing characters is anticipating how they're going to react to a situation. And I've talked about this in the past ad nauseum with regard to comedy. And I think right off the bat, two characters that everybody knows, at least one of the two are Kramer and Joey Tribbiani. Mm-hmm. And there are things that when though when when a, those characters get put into a situation you know before they do how they're going to react and it's so much fun you get reward you feel a sense of 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 gratification by knowing in advance and watching it unfold and being in on it. And I think that the average viewer right now watching this show who hasn't read the book, they don't know how these people feel about anything. And even as someone who's read the book many times, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure how these versions of these characters are going to react because some of them are strangers to me, which is okay. I'm not, I don't mind being out of the loop, but I want it to be better than what I thought I was going to get, or at least as good, if not, if different. So right now I feel like we just don't have a good handle on who any of these people are, except maybe Laszlo. But even then there's so much of his backstory that we haven't gotten to yet. And some of it, some of it's the, it's on display, but if you don't know it, you don't know what to look for and you don't understand what it means. So there are a few things that got me really, I had a few moments where I kind of did like a mini fist pump. Like I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. That's good to see. Because these characters, I, I, seeing these characters on screen and seeing some of these situations unfold visually is so exciting. And yeah. I had, I did have a great time watching this episode because watching the Isaacsons bumble around each other while they talk to Chrysler was cool and like it's fun to to be like oh there's marcus that's lucius like it's fun watching these guys come to life and Mm -hmm. i just want them to receive the best treatment they can get and if this is the best they can get then i'm would have waited a few more years for an alienist adaptation by somebody who was maybe more willing to to say no we need 
people to understand who these people are. Yeah. I feel like if you look back on the, the two shows that we've made podcasts for Westworld and gone to Texas, these are two shows that stand out as ones that they let you care about the characters. They let, even if it's subtle, like you don't, you don't know who Dolores is right at the beginning of Westworld, but you know enough about her to understand where she's going and how she will react to certain things. Yeah. And she's not even a person. (laughs) (laughs) She's a machine. Yeah. So, and, and, and gone to Texas, you have all these mysterious characters. You don't know anything about them, but you begin to get a sense of who they are and how they react to things in the world and how, how they behave. And in this show, it feels like you're just watching people move through scenes and just continue forward without any real sense of character. The only one who seems to show much of that is Laszlo because you see he, he's taking this kind of personally, especially after the scene with Mrs. Zweig. And despite my apprehensions about it, she does strike a nerve with him. And it's very evident that getting this right matters to him. Yeah. So you've at least got one character's motivation kind of there. And if it's the motivation of all the other characters that they want to see kids not get killed and they want to help their friend Laszlo, then that's good enough. But we just need to it's not all we need to establish the ties yeah. that bind these people yeah they don't necessarily feel like that group of friends they don't they don't they don't feel like they would care per se like i don't even i don't even feel like john cares that much about laszlo yet and that's probably an issue you know so it's yeah and part Part of that dynamic is, I mean, that dynamic in general is is really important. But part of it is that they are very different guys. They yeah. met and they met a long time ago, and they they hit it off because they're very different. But they like each other. They both recognize that there's a lot of goodness in each other, and that they both have their faults. But they're they're good dudes, and they get along. But I and I, I and I can get it. I can get some of the situation of like John still being alienated from laszlo because laszlo is alienated from everybody in the way that he sees everything but it doesn't even feel like there's any kind of like uh like john feels like he needs to take care of laszlo or or him being john's or or john being laszlo's like gateway into interacting with society like there's nothing there to kind of put any dependence between both of them right and and yes it's early but for people that are supposed to have a relationship before the show it doesn't feel like they did yet. yeah like i said john knows he knows laszlo intimately he knows the laszlo's house is often talked about in the book um cyrus and and mary and stevie john knows all of them well and he knows all their backstories he knows uh, he's he's a regular house guest and he comes by for like a cup of coffee and a slice of cake or whatever and they talk and they catch up and then, you know, it's a different era too. There's no phone. There's no like yeah. cell phones. There's no, you know, you have to drop by and, and pay a visit to someone literally if you, you want to catch up. just open up Facebook and see how. Like, I mean, just yeah. a real, and and I don't have much more to say, but a small example like with Cyrus is Cyrus is frequently playing the piano in the house and like singing. He's like, he lives there, and he's he's a member of the family, but he is still in the employ on the uh, in the employ of <laughs> Laszlo, and you know John looks forward to like seeing Cyrus and talking to him and seeing how he's doing, but then like listening to him play piano and sing because he's like he's a really gifted musician. But 
he's also supposed to be this kind of big enforcer type and Cyrus kind of looks like a fat old guy in the show so far and I'm kind of like I don't know this isn't the Cyrus that you they talk about because they talk about how he's he's a really big intimidating presence and there's there's a few moments where people try to rough them up a little bit in the books and Mora is like not a fighter he's 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 he will flee or try to talk his way out of it <laughs> but Stevie will like throw down and Cyrus will and there's actually a one or two fights in the book like fist fights and Cyrus always has this pair of like brass knuckles in his pocket that he slides on because he like wants to pummel some bad dudes and I I know that already but I don't already looking at this characterization of Cyrus I'm like we're not, like we're not gonna get fits. any of those cool moments where you're like whoa Cyrus is like this this like six foot four monster and he's gonna slip on some brass knuckles and beat up some racist cops like this sounds great but I don't think we're gonna get anything like that or any of that that level of depth with some of these characters yeah and if we do and I just inadvertently spoiled uh, what would be a great reveal sure hope that's not the case but it doesn't feel like what would be a surprise you know i don't know i guess we'll see but anyway there's just a lot of depth to everybody here and i don't get a lot of it in the show the the two that feel like they've got some depth so far are laszlo and sarah and they're the ones that have been done the most uh i don't even want to say justice because that sounds stupid but like the most faithfully adapted and and they've been given the most consideration yeah, yeah, and I was going to say John and Sarah do feel like they have history. I think they did that well. Yeah, uh, but it also doesn't feel like they've encountered each other much since. Not recently. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it it just feels like all of that timing is still shaky and and and, and you know we very mo- very well may come back a week from now and I'll have turned on a dime and said like I think that's what I'm most excited about here is that. I get that right now you're not 100% convinced that it's going to be the adaptation that you wanted. But I still feel like there might be room for it to course correct and surprise you in ways that you weren't expecting. It also could fall on its face and not be what you want at all, which I think would be very disappointing. Sure. But I like that we're in this gray area of like you don't necessarily know where it's all going to go, despite the fact that it's a book that you love and that it's only 10 episodes. Like there's still some mystery to it to you, too. And so I think we're in a good position to be talking about it. But if if. If <laughs> if it feels like nobody's watching the show in episode five, and neither of us care about it, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough judgment call of like the cards are on the table. Where are we going with right. this? Right. So I think there's gonna be a lot to talk about whether whether we love the show or not. I feel like it is it is a unique enough story in the in the bog of police procedural shows that there will be interesting comparisons and contrast and contrasts to those as well as like other noteworthy uh works of like serial killer fiction yeah because they're all the rage and yep i actually saw a really funny tweet it says welcome to your 30s a cauliflower substitute has replaced all the carbs you love and the only joy you get is from watching shows about murder (laughs) which is true yep in your 30s you watch your diet a lot more and you watch lots of murder shows Mm -hmm. because for some reason they're really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still excited to see more. I, I don't mean to make it sound like I, I'm ready to hit the eject button at any moment. Cause I'm not ready to jetpack through the roof. I don't don't think, (laughs) I don't think 10 episodes is enough for me to feel like I need to even hit the eject button, but no, you you can make it. Yeah. So, so, you know, 
I think we're in for the the long the quote unquote long haul here, the short haul, I guess. The medium haul. And uh let us know what you guys think of this show. Yeah, uh, we're we're still finding our footing too with the format here. If yeah. anybody has listened to Gone to Texas or Westworld, this probably feels like a very familiar format. And I know that it caused us to be a little longer this episode than I think we wanted to or we planned on being, but we're also still kind of finding our footing as well. Well, getting, yeah, getting those initial thoughts of the show, because this is not only that's true, that took a while. the beginning of a season, but also a new show, you know, that's going to take some time too. So we're hoping the rest of the episodes are going to be closer to like an hour and, and kind of pare it down to that. Mm-hmm. But also, we have thoughts of trying to stop recapping so much and maybe picking out major topics to talk about so we can give some some deeper thought to like bigger themes and ideas and things running through the show but you know tell us what you think of the alienist the show the book or also our podcast and and we'd love to hear about it so yeah we did get a little bit of feedback already we have some of our regular listeners that kind of said they tweeted at us and said like nance did hey nance yeah uh if you're still listening i'm gonna watch the nick (laughs) because it's my name uh one of our faithful listeners nancy was suggesting that we watch the nick because it's kind of you know maybe giving off that vibe of what like the alienist was giving her a vibe that kind of made her think of the nick and it takes place in a similar uh, time time frame as well. And she named three things I love, like 80s-inspired synth music, Clive Owen, and Mustaches. a mustache. Yeah. So. Uh, and then also great. Uh, Mark, who who listened to our Gone to Texas show, uh, is along for the ride as well. So we know people are out there listening. And We'd Mark like, said he read the book, right? He and, his, he and his wife loved the book? Is that uh, what he said? He said, hey guys, just wanted to thank you for posting the Primer Podcast for the Alienist into your Gone to Texas feed. I doubt I would have thought to look for a podcast for the Alienist. Both my wife and I are looking forward to the show. We've both read the book, and I'm definitely look, definitely looking forward to your podcast. Mark, for um, the love of God, write in. Yeah. I, no. I really want to know, as, a, as another someone else who has read it, because I don't know many people personally who have read it. Yeah. The only person... I could talk to you on the regular about it as my dad. dad. He would probably love the show and not even think twice critically about it. He'd be like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> he loves everything, though. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, Nick's been trying to get me to read the book since we've been friends. Like, and for- I still haven't done it because I don't know how to read. So <laughs> He did watch Ravenous, though. <laughs> Very early yeah. in our friendship. Yeah, well, that's like a prerequisite almost. I tested our friendship right off the bat. So watch <laughs> this movie and tell me if you love it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, feedback at thealienist.tv is where you can reach us. Uh, I'll do my spiel here. You can find more of our episodes on thealienist.tv. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music. Uh, Please check out TV Time if you haven't seen it yet. It's an app that's cool. It can help you keep up with your shows. You know when they come back. And you can get into some good discussions with the people that are on there as well. And you'll find our podcast on there, too. So if you're coming to us from TV time, uh, thanks for checking us out. Uh, And then the Midwest Podcast Network, which is what we are a part of, has a bunch of other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. You can find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of The Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what's on next week's episode of The Alienist. But until then, I don't don't have have a sign-off. So (laughs) if you think there's a good one, please write in. Feedback at The Alienist. Something, something. Alienist. Yes. 
for the book fans, we were hoping there was a chalkboard involved. At some yeah, point. a little hint there. Yes. We were we were hoping for some sort of chalkboard. We considered naming the show something along yeah, the, those lines. The chalkboard or something. Oh my god, like that, my deepest fear is that that's not going to be in the show. <laughs> <laughs> that would suck. But we'll see. We will. It's early. We'll think of a sign off. Yes. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week.